0: Hello, Talent Talks listeners. I just wanted to give you guys a quick update before we start the show. What you're about to hear was actually previously recorded on February 7th. Right now, all Embry-Riddle courses are online and our campuses are closed. To get the latest and how the university is responding to the coronavirus pandemic, visit erau.edu coronavirus. I hope you're all staying well and safe out there. Now, here's the show. This is the Talent Talks podcast from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I'm Alan Caesar. My guest today is Ken Burns. He graduated in 2001 with a bachelor's in aeronautical science and in 2005 with a master's in business administration from Embry-Riddle. He also holds a doctorate in business administration from North Central University. He has worked at Embry Riddle since 2001 and today he's assistant dean for the College of Aviation, chair of the flight department, and associate professor of aeronautical science. Did I get all that right?
1: Yeah, that sounds like a lot.
0: All right. <laughs> Thanks, Ken, for joining us today.
1: <laughs> no problem. Uh,
0: so, when you came to Embry Riddle, you were a bit of a non traditional student. Um, tell me a bit about uh, what you were doing before and how you decided to come here.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I always knew I wanted to fly. Um, probably like almost every other Embry-Riddle student I've met, one of my earliest childhood memories was wanting to fly an airplane. So that was always something that I had aspirations to do. My father uh, um, was a crew chief on a helicopter, you know, in Vietnam, so he had some experience. He's He soloed an airplane, um, you know, at his uh, Army Air Base after he returned. So um, it was something that we always talked about and something I did at a very young age, started flying, could, couple flight lessons um, but it was just you know it was a uh, different time I guess for me he actually passed away when I was in high school so it kind of mm-hmm. slowed things down a little bit for me and my family um, and it, it took some time for me to really uh, get up the gumption and actually leave leave home and to come come down here I always I always admired Embry-Riddle I actually first uh, toured the campus I think I was about 10 years old um, when I came down here with my father again, uh, to see the race, the, the NASCAR race, we came oh, sure. down here on a trip and we toured the campus. And from that point forward, I was blown away by what I saw back then, uh, on this campus. And, uh, I, w- I knew I wanted to come here. Right. So, but it took a little bit extra time. I spent some time in the trades, um, did all sorts of jobs. I was an oil burner mechanic for a little while. Um, mostly I was an electri- electrician's assistant, hmm. um, and, uh, just at one point said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to apply to Embry-Riddle. And when they accepted me, I was fairly surprised because I'd been out of school for a little while. Uh, but I headed down
0: here and, and started to follow this path. So you took a break in the middle of your, uh, uh, bachelor degree. Is that right? That's and correct. Tell yeah. me a little so, bit about that.
1: So I first came here in 1995, the fall of 95, um, and um, in 1997, my girlfriend and I uh, found out that we were going to have a little baby girl. And at that time, I thought, well, I can't be doing this school thing. I need to, I need to get serious and, and go back home and, and uh, get a job. And and we did. We moved back up, up north and spent about a year and a half up there, back to being an electrician, and eventually uh, got a job, pretty good job, uh, at a place in New York uh, building high-voltage power supplies. Mm-hmm and just wasn't happy you know it's just not what i want to be not what i wanted to do still had that bug uh, at aviation drive inside of me and i remember calling my advisor from a payphone at lunch one day uh pete roundsville uh he was a great guy or is a great guy and uh pete i said pete uh i'm thinking about coming back you know are there any limitations and he just told me you need to get back here right now you know you (laughs) got to get back here what are you doing and 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 I remember that night I went home and uh, I talked to my wife Regina and I said we we need to go down just for a year. I just got to finish and then we'll come back and and we did. We came down with a 14 month old baby and um, the rest is history. She keeps asking me when that year is up because we haven't gone back since. So um, it's been a long long year for her. I guess you can say it's been <laughs> all, we're going on 20 some odd years now.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, between being a student and an employee, has yeah, definitely been more than 20 years. What was your first job here at Riddle? First job here was a flight instructor. So yeah, a part-time flight instructor.
1: Um, you know, started through the ranks that way, just like everybody else at the time. Uh, this is pre-9-11. The industry was really starting to pick up uh, at that point. People were moving through relatively quickly, and uh, I was on track to go to an airline. So got got the flight instructor gig. Uh, became a full-time flight instructor after that.
0: Why did you decide to you wanted to keep working here after you got your uh after you got your bachelor's and why did you want to go for a masters in business administration?
1: Yeah, so it was a bit situational, I guess you can say. So, you know, being a uh a family man at that point um uh, had my family with me. And then when September 11th occurred, hiring basically went to a standstill for mm-hmm. many years. So there weren't many opportunities at that point to be a pilot. And I, right after, uh, September 11th, I decided, well, I should probably diversify a little bit. So I enrolled, uh, in a master's in business here at Embry-Riddle. And I went through that program, an outstanding program, by the way, it opened my eyes to, um, all the other gifts, or I wouldn't say gifts, the other, the other things that excited me, I could combine, um, you know, business and logistics with aviation. And uh, from there, I started to grow in my role in the flight department as well. You know, I, I was a flight instructor, uh, did some check airmen, so a check instructor work for a while. Um, but eventually, I, w- I became a manager in the flight department and held various roles throughout the flight
0: department over the last 20 years. What uh? What made you want to be a professor? When did you realize you wanted to do that? So, the you know, as I grew
1: uh, into that role, uh, I received the master's degree in business. Uh, I felt like I wanted more education. I ended up working on my Ph.D. uh, in business uh, through a program. We had a partnership with North Central University at the time, Mm. and I continued to do that on the side, and uh, when this job came available, the chairman of flight training, it's a faculty position within the College of Aviation, so I, I took that role. Before that, I was already adjuncting. As a professor in the okay. evening um, as you know in my my work work my daily role in the flight department and adjunct teaching in the evening as well, so this allowed me to combine all of
0: those things so how has the flight training process the tools and so on changed since you were a student since you've basically seen it from when you were a student up until now yeah.
1: Oh. There's, there's definitely a lot of change in the industry, for one. Um, the, the motivation of the students, the motivation of the employers, and everything that's going on in the industry is, is just something that I, I could have never imagined 20 years ago uh, happening. But when you, you look at our program specifically, uh, it has gotten very mature uh, in the sense of safety and safety management and building the ultimate professional for, for the cockpit. Uh, and along with that, so has our technologies, so has our aircraft, you know, we're still using. It looks like the same old Cessna 172s, but on the inside, the avionics packages are, are very high-end. Uh, we allow our our students to learn, uh, you know, on the latest technology that there is. Uh, we have ADSB in every airplane, in and out, and we've had that since 2003, which is about 17 years before the FAA required it, so we're... We are really pioneers in that regard. And we continue to push the envelope with technology and how to improve flight training. You know, ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, my role is one of safety. I need to make sure that that our operation is running safely and efficiently and that students are making good progress. Uh, But we continue to build on making a student or bringing a student to a, a level of training faster to become a more professional pilot. Um using simulation, using virtual reality, and using other tools such as uh, debriefing tools. We're we're testing a lot of things, and we're coming up with a lot of uh, new methods to develop uh, adaptive-type curriculum for students so that we can improve their success rate uh, in our program.
0: So the FAA a few years back increased the number of hours in order to be a a commercial pilot, uh, 1,500 hours now, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's a bit different. It's 1,500 hours uh, for somebody who doesn't go to a university. Mm. Uh, for, for somebody that goes to an approved institution like Embry-Riddle, who graduates from an approved degree, such yeah. as we have, we have about seven approved degrees, and who completes their instrument and commercial training at that facility uh, and completes a certain amount of coursework, can get that reduced uh, by 500 hours. So our students are actually leaving at more like a 1,000 hours, And when you look at it, they allow you to count up to 100 hours of flight training device time or simulation time. Mm. So our students are leaving with a little over 900 flight hours and going to the airlines. When we hire a flight instructor at the flight line right now, um, we hired 145 of them last year, by the way. So our turnover is almost 100% annually. right, It's a (laughs) transitional job. But when we hire them, they already know, most of them already have a job, right? They already yeah. know uh, the, the amount of agreements we have with airlines. Uh, I really can't think of an airline off the top of my head that we don't have an agreement with. Today we just announced uh, our aviate partnership with United Airlines. And again, that's that's a, a program where United's going to select a cadre of our students in order to flow eventually to, the, to their their uh, airline. So the opportunities uh, that, that these young folks have is, is endless, and, and they're achieving their dreams kind of at a record pace here, moving to the airlines very quickly.
0: Do you have, uh, do you have trouble getting enough instructor pilots since so many of them are getting hired out?
1: It, it ebbs and flows, you know, I can say really no, because we we, we produce so many so we're producing flight instructors at a very high rate and those are the ones that are filling the role um, of those that are leaving. Uh, we did uh, greatly increase the, um, the flight instructor training program that we have here on campus. So we, we actually have a teaching laboratory where they really focus on how to be good teachers in the cockpit and they understand the human behavior side of flight training and learning and teaching and it's scenario type of role play. Uh, that we've been doing for about five years now and includes a, a sim in a classroom and inside that laboratory and the research we've done has shown it greatly increases their ability to teach from day one from having zero time of instruct, instructional time uh, they are better flight instructors so while our turnover is approaching 100 um, uh, percent you know most of the time our quality has not gone down it's actually gone slightly up so along with improving how we train flight instructors. We also have a program in place, it's called Flight Instructor Quality Assurance. So I have a, a manager of f- instructional quality assurance and they have a group of mentors. They basically sit in the back seat of the airplanes uh, from time to time and they they record their teaching skills and, and are is the instructor morphing to the student's learning style and what defense mechanisms are the students showing, and, and how is the instructor responding, and how could they be better. All of those types of things mm-hmm. is what's briefed at the end of that flight. So so with the turnover, it is a challenge. I'm not going to lie. We haven't stopped hiring in five or six years. It's just a constant uh, hire going on. Right now, we have three new hire classes in one form or another that are in place. And then with that, comes the turnover at the other end, or the top end, where um, you need people to teach in the multi-course, and you need people to teach in the CFI course and commercial, Mm -hmm. and they have to be upgraded to those. So we're constantly hiring, and we're constantly upgrading instructors. Um, It's a a nonstop
0: effort. So I heard that there was something like a total of 500 hours flown uh, here on one day earlier this week. Did I hear correctly?
1: Yeah, so... So we're, uh, uh, you know, right now we're basically maxed out when it comes to the number of aircraft we're going to put on the ramp here. Our safety system, you know, we're looking at the capacity of this airspace. Uh, 62 Cessna 172s and 10 Diamond uh, multi-engine aircraft, that's enough for us. You know, we do about 28% to 30% of our training in the flight training devices simulation, Mm. right? But we can only at any given time hold about 1,300 students. But we are very, I guess you can say we're smartly lean um, in in the amount of aircraft that we have and the way that we schedule the students. We make sure it's stretched across the day because ultimately, you know, if I have to have more aircraft to cover more students, that means I have to charge more money, right? So I'm very cognizant uh, of trying to keep the cost down for the students. But our system is very efficient right now, and um, to give you an example. Two days ago, uh, the Cessna fleet alone flew four hundred and sixty-two hours um, wow. across those aircraft, and that's a big day, right? That's yeah. a that's a big day. And then you add the multi-engine time into that, another about fifty hours there. So you know, there's there's a lot of flight training going on that day alone. There was about three hundred and twenty flights off of the ramp between five thirty in the morning and, and midnight. Uh, that night so so it's a busy operation um we keep it safe uh through our strong safety culture and also through our standardization, our processes and procedures you know because we're a small airline basically when you have that yeah. number of people and that number of flights out there, you have to make sure that that everybody's doing the the right thing and everything's standardized and uh, right to keep everybody safe so um very proud of the team that we have in place in or, in order to have successful days like that, but just like you have great days like that. You have a day like today where the wind whips up, and you know you got uh, forty mile an hour winds, uh, a couple hundred feet off the ground, and and nothing's moving anywhere. Yeah, so, not a whole lot of people flying today. So you know the the variables in flight training are uh, the only thing, uh, not the only thing, but you know one of the most frustrating things that that we cannot control, right? So. To me, I look at a day as a wasted opportunity for some people to make progress and to, and to finish their flight training. So we we have to capitalize on every good day that we have, and we, we do a good job at doing that.
0: Yeah. So I'm wondering, when you were a student uh, or uh, when you were a flight instructor, uh, did, was there something that that uh, you thought, like, you know, man, if I was in charge, I would totally do this a different way, or I wouldn't do that at all, and now you kind of are in charge. Right. right? What, what what have you been able to change that really bothered you? Or, uh
1: um, probably the biggest thing was the scheduling oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, that was, uh, um, it's the key other than safety, the scheduling is the key to it all. You know, and when you have students who have classes that you have to integrate with it and then you have other variables like flight instructors that have duty day limitations or possibly classes themselves, you know, how, how do you make all of this work and, That was actually one of my jobs. So in uh, 2005, um, I was no longer a training manager. And uh, they created a position called the Manager of Quality Scheduling and Quality Assurance. having trouble remembering the name of it at the time. And, And it was because of that, because I proposed a solution for the scheduling system, right? So the guy that took over at the time, Dr. Frank Ayers, basically said, okay, figure it out. You know, um, you know, so me and some other folks worked very hard on on that and came up with a, a system that we're actually using to this day, and we've tweaked it since. We've made it more effective and more efficient, but uh, but it turned the entire operation around as far as, you know, um, being efficient in our scheduling, making sure that we meet the expectations of the customers, right? So it's not always perfect, don't get me wrong, um, But but with the amount of variables that we have, uh, in the training industry, um, we are very thoughtful about the ones that we can control, right? And, and we maximize every opportunity that we can to get a student through their flight training.
0: So tell me a bit about the people that you work with. Who are the people who you feel have, like, influenced the pro- program and left a legacy on the fight, flight line?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I think of folks like Dr. Frank Ayers. Uh, he was the chairman before me. Um, and he started the change, the cultural change at the time in the organization, um, and had a vision of improvement that uh that started that initial shift. Uh and then he moved on shortly after to be the uh, to Prescott, uh the Prescott. Yeah. The Chancellor of Prescott, yeah. Um and did a great job out there as well. So, you know, he he's definitely left a legacy there. Um, Doctor Tim Brady, who was the dean at the time, um, you know, he's the one that offered me this c- position. 10 years ago and uh he had the faith that i could do it and he was just you know an awesome and in- he is an awesome awesome individual that uh um really understands uh flight training and a- ac- academics academia and you know uh just a wonderful man uh and then the folks that make it happen day to day are our current chief flight instructor ivan Grow. he's been around uh in the system i believe 28 years now somewhere around there uh, working in the flight department uh Going on, I think it's his 15th year as the chief flight instructor, right? So he does a great job day in and day out. Um, Our director of maintenance, our our former director, Jack Hahn, who was here for a long time, and our current director, Tom Bruno, you know, their focus on quality and safety first, you know, that uh, the the aircraft can sit if they're not perfect right? The student can miss an activity if they're not perfect, right? We want to make sure they're safe. That's the, the number one priority. They do a great job interacting with industry and pushing industry to improve their processes as well and, and the aircraft themselves. So, uh, and then our safety director, you know, right now we have uh, uh, doc, or, or Bob Joyce. Uh, he's, uh, he worked as a quality assurance manager of flight instruction before he earned the role as a safety uh, and before him, um, Jeremy Mayman did a great job. He's moved on for a safety position at, at a, um, a corporate opportunity. So uh, these folks are, are critical to the operation, um, and I could keep going on and on. You know, my, my assistant and uh, Deb Burke, my director of finance, all, all of our business, all of those folks are, are absolutely critical. They make my job look easy, right? <laughs> uh, or they make my job easy. You know so they make me look good is what it is so they they do an outstanding job and all of them are beyond committed right, right to this institution and to the and to the flight department itself so you never you you ask for something you're gonna get it you know, nobody's ever going to say, "Well, I'm off the clock in five minutes," right? <laughs> no, they're going to get it done because uh, because they really do uh, love this institution, and they love this department, and they will, they want to make it uh, the greatest experience as possible for the students. That's great.
0: Mm-hmm. What? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you're wearing the uh, Embry-Riddle Flight Team jacket right now. Uh, Correct. What uh, what role <clears throat> does the flight team play in the in the program?
1: It's a group of individuals uh, that are really deeply, deeply committed to the, the profession and to the safety of, of aviation and improving it. Um, you know, the motivation that they have uh, to do what they do, I mean, they're, they're basically every day of the week, uh, they're practicing in one form or another, whether it's flying the airplane or doing, you know, calculations to prepare for Uh, you know for testing at at the regional and national competitions or aircraft recognition whatever it may be they are um, they are a great group of of young men and women Uh, and they're led by one of our training managers who has done an outstanding job um, basically uh, um, bringing them to a higher level you know over the last few years so um, i i applaud them for their commitment but they are the face of the flight department when we go and we we uh compete regionally and nationally and this year we plan on taking home the the national trophy you know uh so they are that good uh this year and and we've won regionals i can't remember the number i think it's like 25 years in a row or i don't know the actual number but um so you know we've got that down now we need to we need to compete with Prescott a little bit better at the national level because they they've won a whole bunch over the last uh, ten to twenty years. So, um, and this year we have the team to do it. Uh, couldn't be prouder of those folks.
0: Yeah, well, pretty good position for the university is uh, to be in when you've uh, got you know uh, two campuses competing for for the title. Right?
1: Absolutely, yeah, <laughs>
0: absolutely. Um, So, uh, you're general manager and faculty advisor for the hockey team. How did you get involved with the hockey team?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's uh, so some of the students, you know, knew I liked hockey growing up up north uh, in the New York area. um, You know, a big time Rangers fan and had some stuff in my office and would always talk a lot about hockey. So,. Uh, they needed an advisor and the, the, the president of the club came in with his officers one day and said, listen, um, um, we heard you like hockey and we'd like you to be our faculty advisor. And the first thing I could think about was, oh my gosh, how much work is this gonna be? Um, and I asked him, okay, what do I have to do? And he said, well, just sign a couple papers and go to a meeting and that kind of thing. I said, okay, yeah, I can do that. So. Uh, that was maybe five years ago. Um, the time's getting away from me a little bit on that, but he, uh, I watched him. You know, it was. I went to a game, and you know, I met with them with their finances, and we talked about how to do things. And uh, it's a struggle for the students. Uh, the The hockey team was, um, you know, it's a big um, undertaking to manage it. It's a big undertaking to organize it, um, and to figure the finances out right and you need to have a coach and you know we we didn't really have a coach and so and then with a different president every year it just it couldn't really get where it could really be so i watched them struggle for a year and i remember at the end of the season they came in my office and i i just kind of i don't know if i was i wasn't even thinking but i just kind of mentioned to him i said you know if you want to be serious i'll take over managing this team and uh they jumped right on that and then at the time i I dialed my phone up on speakerphone, and I called Bob Joyce, who is now our safety director, like we talked about. He was working for me at the time as quality assurance. And Bob has a unique background. Bob was uh, um, a hockey player at the University of North Dakota and won the NCAA championship. He was the captain of that team. He was drafted into the NHL. He was a Canadian Olympian. He played on the Boston Bruins, right? Uh, He had a 20 to 25-year professional career, and now he's working for me. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, this is a perfect opportunity. And I asked—I remember calling him. I said, "Bob, are you interested in coaching the hawk?" Ho- I don't even think I finished the word hockey, and he said, "Yes." <laughs> so uh, with that, we uh, we took the team on the next season, and it's been uh, it's been a great time. Uh, we've we've come a long way since then. Uh, you know, it take, it takes a lot to figure this out. You know, to give you an example, I'm already done scheduling for next season. Wow. Right, so the students would, if, if no one was really looking at it, would wait till the summer and come back in the in August and say, "Okay, we got to find some games." Right, and now we're already scheduled out through twenty uh, twenty one. So, um, but it's been great. Got some great assistant coaches: Anthony Galante, Professor of Unmanned Systems, of course, Bill Thompson, Director of Alumni Relations. Both of them with a hockey background. So, yeah. um, you know, the four of us. Um, really took this on, and uh, it's been a great time. We just got back from playing uh, Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Unfortunately, yeah. we lost those games, but we are ranked fifth in the South right now, and I believe 13th in the nation, if I'm not mistaken, um, and we're going to be going to the regional playoffs for the first time, I believe, in our team's history, 20-some-odd years. So so we're excited about it. Honestly, it's, it's one of the funnest things that I've ever done at Embry-Riddle. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy you know watching the students uh, grow and, and finding their their passion for the game and and seeing the successes that we have had. It's been a great time.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, how is a how is a club sport? Because the hockey team is a club yeah. sport. It's not. A, I'm not sure what the term is official right. with the athletics department. Correct. How is that? different club sport versus an athletic sport?
1: So, well, financing would be different. First of all, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can petition the, the student government for um, for funds, which we do. We get about 20% of our budget from the student government. The rest come from gate fees So, we charge people to come to the game and the student dues. So, students are paying about $1,100 each right now uh, to play on the team. Uh, it's about $100,000 a year now. With our schedule and with uh, with uh, our equipment and everything now, it's not a cheap endeavor, right? So, uh, and we also we're always looking for donations. So, if you want to make a donation, we have a great crowdfunding site out there right now. Um, Because we plan to go to nationals this year, so it's a club sport, but it's um, it's very organized. You know, there's uh, the league we're in is nationwide. There's over 150 teams in our division uh, nationwide. And uh, we plan to be one of the top four in the south so that we can we can go to nationals this year in Dallas. So, And we will know here shortly in about a month as our regionals. Uh, so we'll, we'll let you know how it goes.
0: That's great. Yeah. Uh, so you've done some, uh, you've trained some guide dogs in the past. Uh, what? Uh, how did you get involved with that?
1: So, well, my wife told me we were going to train guide dogs. Okay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I came home one day, and she said, "We're going to train guide dogs." And I, I thought, okay. Uh, and it's a little bit deeper than that. So, so my wife uh, unfortunately lost her eyesight at the time. At that time, um, well, no, at that time she was completely blind by then. So, um, she lost her eyesight from a childhood illness uh, um, later on in life. And uh, we, she had a guide dog, this beautiful German Shepherd. She was amazing, amazing dog. Um, and she wanted to give back to that community. And she said, well, you know, I can't do everything I used to do. I can't drive anymore, you know, and I, I'm not working and that kind of stuff. I want to raise a dog. And so I said, okay, absolutely. So uh, so we brought that dog home. About two weeks later, we had a puppy in our house uh, from <laughs> uh, this company called Southeastern Guide Dogs. They're over in uh, Palmetto, Florida on the West Coast. They're very organized uh, guide dog company so they breed the dogs they train the dogs they have a beautiful facility over there and how it works is they breed the dogs they call you and say okay here's your dog Um, and you we keep it for almost a year every weekend we have to go to Events, there's a local razor group where we get a manual just like it's almost like learning how to fly. you know you get the standardization manual <laughs> um this is how you teach this command, this is how you teach that command uh and then in the weekly meetings, the trainers would show us how to do it um and we did we we had a great time um you know m- when we went out in public, my wife's had her guide dog, and I would have the puppy on the leash, you know and the the um with a jacket on, so we'd be the people with the dogs everywhere we went. <laughs> Uh, the dogs spend a lot of time actually on this campus, you know, uh, with me uh, on that days I'm not flying or wasn't flying, you know they'd be under the desk or walking from meeting to meeting. Um, and that, that affects. So, so we raised three total of them. Uh, it's about a year each time you do it, by the way. So you, you raise it, you, you teach them about 40 commands. and then the school takes them back. We call it puppy college. Then they get they go into the kennels and they get a um, trainer assigned to them. And, you know, to the point where the trainer's walking around with a blindfold on and, and the harness and all of that. And uh, it takes another six months to a year for, for them to, to put the finishing touches on it. So we trained the first two, uh, made it through. They were they were guide dogs. They, they still are, I believe, at least one still is. One may be retired. The last one we raised is a little bit rambunctious and crazy. Um we turned him in and he's just just full of energy um never got the puppy out of him probably the smartest dog we ever raised but uh uh, about a year later they called us and said he's not going to make it through the program Uh. would you like to have him back and we said yes absolutely he's he's the coolest dog there is so um so he's in our house now so uh so we still have him as a pet so we we haven't added a fourth guide dog puppy yet but someday in the future we may do that
0: again how do you find so you're 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 on the flight department here, you're you're running the hockey team, uh, you know, raising guide dogs from time to time. How do you find time for all of this and like still spend time with your family and everything else?
1: Well so so the great thing is that my wife and family are really into the hockey team. Uh huh. So I do nothing hockey without them they came to Colorado they'll be there tonight right so it's a family event uh, that's re- otherwise I probably wouldn't have the time to do it you're right I couldn't commit that much time to it if they weren't into it and the same with the guide dog raising you know so I'd walk around a lot with the dog and people think well look at him he's raising a dog no it was a whole family you know I mean and it wasn't my idea to begin with but my <laughs> wife is home you know all day long potty training that dog and Getting it to the point where we can even take it outside, so so it's really a team effort, you know it, it always has been. So it definitely can't take all the credit.
0: Now Ken, it's uh, time for our lightning round. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you five questions, and you're going to give me five answers. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Well, am I supposed to answer fast? I would, not necessarily, <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you can fly any plane ever made from anywhere to anywhere. What do you choose? The SR-71. Okay. That's a, that's a bold choice.
1: I want to get there fast and high and I want that experience. That thing is unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Of course it doesn't fly anymore that we know of. So. That we know of. Yes. it's (laughs) the key, right? So where would you go from and to? Um, I don't know. I'd probably watch the sunrise
1: a few different times in each flight. Oh, there
0: you go. And then just land
1: where I took off. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love it. All right. If you could read only one book for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: You know, um, there's one book that I really enjoyed, uh, one of my most recent ones, Leading with Honor by Lee Ellis, and uh, um, the way that he—it's a its a book about leadership, but he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, mm. and he tells his story while integrating in, um, you know, the 10 points of leadership, and he did a great job at it. So, it, you know, I met him by chance at— uh, An aviation event at Oshkosh, and he handed me that book because I gave him a ride somewhere, and we've been friends ever since, but I really did enjoy uh, that book, and I've given it to a few people.
0: All right. So who's your favorite cartoon character? Oh, geez. I don't know. (laughs)
1: Cartoons. Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Like the sarcasm.
0: Oh, that's good. (laughs) All right. uh, Picture your ideal grilled cheese sandwich, right? You've got it in front of you. You're about to take a bite. What's what's the sandwich made of? What's in it?
1: I see Munster cheese. Yeah, it's definitely got lots of butter, maybe a little bit of garlic, you know, powder and Munster cheese.
0: I think you're the first person who's mentioned garlic. (laughs) Good choice. Good choice. All right. If you could live for a week as any person in history, who would it be? Oh, geez. That's
1: a tough one. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Any person in history, huh? Yeah. That's a tough one.
0: I don't know. All right. Well, we'll think about it. Let me think about that one. Yeah, you can get back to it. I like my life. (laughs) That's totally fair. We had uh, Dennis Jones, I think, gave a similar answer. He He didn't really want to be anybody else. No.
1: No, I know what I'm going to get day in and day out. Ah, oh, there you go. And what I'm going to give. So, um, yeah. And what the expectations are. So it's. Uh, uh, there you go.
0: Sorry, you stumped me with that. That's one. okay. That's okay. Uh, all right. Well, thanks very much, Ken, for joining us for the Talent Talks podcast. Yeah, no problem. Lots of fun. All right. Uh, the Talent Talks podcast is a production of Wicked Radio and the Embry-Riddle Office of Alumni Engagement. We're coming at you from the Maury Husseini Student Union at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in sunny Daytona Beach, Florida. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our show or suggest a guest to us, we'd love to hear from you. Visit alumni.ereu.edu slash podcast and click the feedback link. Thanks for downloading us. We'll see you next time.